This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Seventeen career quarterfinal at Roland Garros. How proud are you of this achievement? Well, I'm proud of it, but uh, my attention is already in the next uh, next match. I mean, obviously quarterfinals, catching up. Um, I know what my goal is here, so I'm trying to stay mentally the course and of course not look look too far but um, obviously the performance of today gives me a great deal of confidence about how I felt about how I played uh, so I'm looking forward to the next match well you always follow the the top top guys you know in your half or whatever how they're playing of course you are looking you're analyzing everyone's game uh, you are basically following what's going on in the draw but most of the attention is obviously focused on on you, on what you need to deliver on the court, how you need to perform, and how you need to win the next match. It's only about the next step. But of course, I do I do keep in mind what the others are doing as well. My best uh, match in the in the tournament so far. Uh, I, yeah, I think I played a, a great level against Stefanos. It could be a great match. You know, we we have played. Uh, Great matches. I, I won every every match that uh, we've played, but it doesn't mean that they're gonna I'm gonna win uh, every 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 match that uh, we're gonna play. So I have to, to be really focused. He's a, a really tough opponent, uh, but uh, of course uh, his game is uh, is a good game for for my side. Well, it's the heavyweight battle we hope is going to happen. Week two of Roland Garros, as soon as we saw the draw, let's bring it together. Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic, the class of the generations. It's on track. And if you look at the head-to-heads for the quarterfinals, Carlos has beaten Stefano Tsitsipas four from four, including uh, Barcelona in the lead-up to Roland Garros. And Novak Djokovic has an 8-1 and one head-to-head against Karin Hutchinov. Uh, come on, uh, Joker, a sign of K if you don't mind. Uh, in that little uh, grab. And, of course, the only time uh, Hutchinov beat Djokovic was at the Paris Masters, a Masters 1000 going back three years ago. But he is having a terrific run in Australia, semi-final US Open last year. And he had fallen outside the top 20 when Rublev and Medvedev uh, took over. And Karen has worked his way back, one of the good guys on the tour. Evening, everybody. Welcome along. We turned the page. Second week of Roland Garros. How about the first week? I feel exhausted. The first week has been pulsating. And we know on the clay, you've got to work extra hard. The length of matches, the Parisians, they've been there in full voice. They boo anything, though. I want to get to that. We've written an article on our website uh, today. There's a few that I probably boot out of the stadium, but generally they've been uh, outstanding, particularly on those uh, outside courts. So, so much to pull apart. We're going to go across to Paris uh, very shortly. Courtney Walsh, of course, award-winning tennis journalist on the ground. 
Australian tennis great Mark Woodford is also there. You're hearing him, of course, uh, on our TV screens with his commentary across the fortnight. So a real Roland Garros theme in the first hour. After 9 o'clock, our Tennis Victoria State grade segment will go inside Royal South Yarra. Taylor Preston, the young 17-year-old who we couldn't connect with last week in Tunisia. Now, I did manage to catch up with Taylor for our social channels uh, during the week. So for those maybe not across us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you're tuning into this show, we'll bring you that chat on the back of winning her first pro singles title. Our college segment, very popular uh, with Lachlan Peel, and our guest tonight is Alex Vukic, who went down... The college path, uh, the recent Aussie to break inside the uh, top 100. Great to have alongside me tonight to share the load, Betty Sekolowski, who's been on this show before. For those of you who follow tennis, well-known coach for a number of years inside Tennis Australia and also outside the Champion Tennis Academy doing some uh, beautiful work. Great to see you, Betty. Thanks, Brett. Great to be here again. A couple of French Opens you've been to? Uh, Just a couple, yep. Describe your experience of going to Roland Garros. Oh, this Honestly, there's nothing like it. I think it's um, Paris. <laughs> what can you say about Paris? Paris is just a magical place. But uh, I did get the experience of going there um, my first time in the junior Grand Slam um, with a couple of the players that I was working with at the time yep. and uh, followed up a couple of years later with um, coaching Jamie Fullis during during that period and watching her play on Susan Longland. Mm. It, it's a great court, isn't it? And they're now putting the roof, which will be fully completed yep. for Roland Garros uh, next year. It's had a makeover. When I was there in 2019, very lucky the year that Ash um, uh, won, that's when they brought in court Simon Mathieu out the back yep. to expand the site, sort of like the botanical gardens you're walking <laughs> to, an old greenhouse. Uh, great court. There have been some great matches. They had Thanasi out there, I think, a couple of times. Uh, last week. So it's much more compact, isn't it, than Melbourne Park? But it really is. The Parisians, it's, I mean, every Grand Slam has that unique ambience about it. How would you describe the Parisians? Oh, look, I, I think I was pretty, I must have caught them on a really good day, to be honest. <laughs> so they were really enjoying the match that I was watching. Uh, and, you know, it seemed to be pretty well uh, balanced in who they were cheering for. But look, just obviously watching a bit of Taylor Fritz the other day and what he had to kind of endure, is, it's a little bit sad to see that, uh, I guess, crowds across the the world are a little bit different in every country and every Grand Slam, but I think uh, at the time I was pretty fortunate and I was enjoying all the cheers there was. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. I've just received an early text here from Aaron. BP, read the interesting article this morning by Christian, one of our writers on thefirstserve.com.au, on the crowd behaviour and the Fritz match that occurred in week one of Roland Garros and the images that went around the world of Taylor just shushing the crowd and that got him even more fired up. Uh, clearly, no crowds during COVID was not fun. Things got uh, went too far sometimes. The, uh, uh, the the cries, what was that cry when you know Kyrgios and Kokonakis were playing? I think the, the soccer reference, um, <laughs> whatever it was described as at the AO, were just annoying. But I don't know what the answer is. Better umpire control, pure tennis enthusiasts, I think, prefer more respectful behaviour. Aaron at Airport West. Now, I'm no Nancy here saying mm-hmm. that we can't have ambience. I think Craig Tiley was on the Australian Open podcast recently, he's always been an innovator about where we maybe take the whole crowd thing, when we need to be quiet, when we don't need to be quiet. Maybe uh, the players in some ways compared to other sports are a little too precious that there should just be natural ambience. People can just walk around. But I think, Betty, there is some tennis etiquette that needs to remain, particularly when someone steps up to serve, that you should just be able to have some awareness as a spectator. Whether you follow tennis or not, okay, it's time to just – this man's – in his workplace, exactly. doing his job, or lady, and let them get to work 
if they hit a cracking shot, go absolutely nuts. But the amount of interruptions for the players, I think has gone a little too far. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think, look, tennis in somewhat, in some capacity obviously has a uniqueness where there's so much downtime whilst playing tennis. And I think that does play a big part in how we manage our concentration as, as athletes. And I do think it's taken a little too far. I do think there's a lot of plays out there that are great for the game and what it's brought um, in terms of the crowd, the spectators that are watching. But uh, I look, I'm not sure what the answer is here. I do find it entertaining though, watching crowds get involved. Uh, but I think as a player, that could be quite distracting when a lot of the, the, the points played in tennis is so much downtime in between mm. and you do need to have some some thinking time. No doubt. It is a, it's a fine line. But the, the, the matches have been fantastic, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Those outside courts in the first week. And, and you love when a couple of underdogs come through. I mean, we've had some players at Roland Garros this year that have had their best run. You just need one yeah. good run at a major. And it's a life changer. Absolutely. We've seen it. You know, you've seen it multiple times with players. And, I mean, just even watching that young 16-year-old Andreeva just Ooh. come through Incredible. Got to see her yeah. play at the um, Terrelgan, the ITF Juniors in uh, Terrelgan earlier this year, and, and yep. she's an incredible player. Uh, very mature. It's exciting to see where that women's game's going. And just as the men, you know, you're getting a lot more younger guys coming through. Uh, like you said, it's a, a life-changing moment for anyone going out there at the moment. No doubt. She's impressive. Uh, it was great to watch the, the veteran Coco at 19. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the 16-year-old Mira Andreeva. If you, anyone can remember back to the Australian <laughs> Open this year, that girls' final went about three and a half it hours. Did. I worried about the start time for the women's <laughs> final. Both um, players stepped up to the dais. They could hardly stand upright. <laughs> and yep. she has had a rapid rise as a 16-year-old. She might just emulate sort of what Coco's done yes. and, and make that natural jump towards the top 10. Betty, let's get across to uh, Paris uh, and welcome in Courtney Walsh. She is on the ground. She, Walshy, I can't think of a bad day in Paris this year. It's turned on its absolute finest weather. And for a man like yourself that loves uh, the shorts and the polo, uh, <laughs> just a beautifully set up for you. It's been absolutely glorious, uh, unparalleled in terms of uh, my experiences in Paris. It's a city I love, but my word, it's uh, every single day has been a stunner. Today is no difference. I'm not so sure I've seen a cloud yet. It's just been yeah. a remarkable run of weather here. It's amazing, isn't it? Wasn't it, wasn't it the year while she, after they put the roof on at Wimbledon, after all those years of rain interruptions, I don't think it rained at Wimbledon for the next maybe year or two. So we know that um, Chartres has got a roof and uh, Longland's going to get a uh, roof, but yeah, Paris has been absolutely uh, delightful. We've been just sort of uh, reminiscing a little bit about the first week while she, it, it has been it has been electrifying. I mean, it's hard to know which direction to look in the first week. Some of the matches the drama, length of matches, some great underdog stories. Uh, what's jumped off the page for you? Look, the atmosphere has been just incredible to experience, for good and for bad. Uh, it's just phenomenal how passionate the French fans are for their own players when they're in big battles, uh, and that can sometimes spill over into ugliness. The, uh, yep. the the tightness of matches. I think we're at 35 set matches here so far, which is the equals the record. So, I suspect in the next few days, there's you know a couple of round of 16 matches, and then uh, the quarterfinals, semifinals, final to come. I believe that we'll probably get that record, Betty and uh, Brett, because certainly the way we're tracking, that's the case. I thought the Aussies, by and large, actually competed and played pretty well. It's you, Look, unfortunately, we didn't get anyone through to the second week, but 
I think when you look at Kokonakis and, and Storm Hunter in particular, with Harchinov sort of going on to the quarterfinals, with Alina Svitolina playing especially well and through to the quarterfinals, that for, my, that for me suggests that they weren't too far away in either of their matches. So I think they, they can leave very proud of, of how they performed. And even Alex, uh, look, outplayed by a clay quarter in the end, but my word, he gave it his all. And I think, you know, a favourable draw on the grass at Wimbledon, you know, I, I still think he's very capable of, uh, of doing some damage. Courtney, it's Betty Siklovsky here. How are you going? Just, um, yeah, very well, Betty. Lovely to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, great to hear from you. If you're wondering, we've been rugged up in Kathmandu jackets here, yes. so I'm glad you're enjoying the sunshine. Although <laughs> um, here it's 20 today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's off at 20. We're getting a tan. But um, I guess my question is, I mean, every day just reading articles and just seeing all the controversy that's happening there, I think for anyone sort of interested in, in sport in general, I mean, you know, the young uh, Japanese doubles player, I think, Mio, I think her name was, um, being disqualified with that incident is it's pretty it's a, it's a it's a tough one. I think it's dividing a few people at the moment. What are your what's your take on it over there at the moment? Yeah, look, I think that was one where, in a sport where discretion can be deployed, I'm not so sure the discretion was deployed the right way mm. in that instant instance yesterday. Uh, uh, for mine, it wasn't an aggressive act. I, I think the girl, the ball girl, was more, f- you know, understandably frightened, and, and clearly it was a code violation and potentially a fine of some sort. But I'm not so sure it's a default slash lose all your money, particularly for a doubles player who's earned one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the year. It's just it just reeks of heavy handedness, from my opinion. Now I know others will will differ. Some will point to the Djokovic incident. For mine, this is a completely different incident to the Djokovic default in New York. York. Uh, it's look. I, I think that's a very unfortunate incident. I think uh, you know I was in the corridors, the junior corridors underneath Longland just beforehand, and I know uh, I think Wayne McEwen was involved and and, and and was a supervisor at the time. And you can understand, uh, yeah, I, I, can, I can see why it might happen, but just perhaps a little too heavy-handed. She's due to play doubles today. Uh, sorry, mixed doubles today. I'm not sure where that sits as yet. I hadn't actually checked that out this morning, but. I do hope she's at least able to do that. And I suspect there will be an appeal because it just doesn't seem to add up on the evidence that we've seen. No, and, and am I right in saying while she... So we've seen all the footage and Wayne, we know Wayne very well. He's at all the big tournaments and been yes. doing it a long time, but he hadn't really seen any vision of that. And if he had maybe had some access to some vision, so he goes and talks to all parties concerned... Uh, the young ball, yes. ball girl who, um, I mean, as someone said on the text here, if she had caught the ball, no one would be saying anything about it. It obviously caught her off guard, uh, but it wasn't hit in a vigorous yes. manner like we saw with Novak and the Lions person at the US Open. But if you had been able to just, okay, like, like, the, um, like the basketball referees, get to see some vision, uh, whether you go upstairs or see something, he, he might have made a more common sense uh, decision. Look, and, and look, I didn't sit in on the deliberations or the discussions. That's one thing. We've seen footage, etc. from our... These are judgments made from our footage, uh, from our from our viewing. We don't have access to the conversations that actually happened on the court. So, you know, there is that caveat there in terms of the fullest picture. But certainly from what you can see from the outside, it does look like perhaps just a little heavy-handed. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that... If, if an appeal is lodged, it doesn't help them in terms of actually progressing in this tournament. But if an appeal is lodged, I suspect it would be looked at favourably based on what we've seen. Uh, Courtney, obviously I'm interested in quite a lot of the uh, the juniors that are, that are con- currently competing at the 
at the Roland Garros event. So yes. you had a chance to watch some of our Aussies in action. Uh, so we've got, well, uh, we have Emerson Jones in action later today. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. yesterday when they were on, I was actually on uh, on air for Radio Roland Garros over here uh, calling. So I think Emerson was on, her brother was on, and we had uh, one other Australian, um, the young, uh, the 16-year-old. Yeah, Lily uh, Taylor. Whose name's just escaped me. But, Lily Taylor. Yeah, yeah, Lily Taylor. Sorry, Lily Taylor. So Emerson really clearly had a good win because, uh, you know, working with a couple of British colleagues here, uh, the the young girl that she defeated had been very, very you know the best performed young English player for, for a while and it doesn't necessarily mean the best uh, English player of her age I think someone had a really good win in uh, Serbian yesterday uh, and he's showing good signs opted for the grass court tournaments rather than come and play juniors here but I thought that was a really good win by Emerson you know win the first drop the second to be able to rebound she's on again later this afternoon yes. in her second round match yeah. but that's a, that's a really impressive performance uh, her brother was very tight clearly uh, in that match I think he fought hard in the second set so you know, it's it's. I've got to say, it's good to see some Aussies back playing uh, at majors because I think we had a little dearth, uh, you know, run there where we didn't actually have juniors. Well, I'll just give you a little report card uh, because I actually texted Dad Brad overnight because we had the two Joneses on together uh, last year on the show, and I said, "Gee, Hayden, not much in Hayden's match. Uh, no, very little. He had a poor service game at Waller on the first. Just couldn't." get it back. Probably not his best tie break in the second. Not much between these top boys though. So yeah, the really, really small margins. I think Charlie Camus in action uh, today and saw his little brother Tommy play up at the Nationals a few weeks ago. So there's some uh, good bloodlines in the uh, Camus family. So the second week, Walshy, Alcaraz, uh, Djokovic, the favourable head-to-heads against Hutchinov and Tsitsipas. Iga, of course, double bageling her opponent over the weekend. Sabalenka looks Pretty good. Uh, gets past Sloane Stevens uh, today. Uh, where, where do you see this second week going? I mean, the, 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 the Svitolina story is just brilliant. Amazing. Do you think she can beat Savalinka? Oh, I know that she'll give it an almighty crack because the fight that she's shown uh, throughout this week and, and clearly coming off that win in Strasbourg last week, she was always a player who we thought would uh, would break through for a Grand Slam, perhaps with motherhood and, and slightly different priorities. It might be the key to, yep. to actually breaking that drought in a major. I thought Savalenka was outstanding early against Stevens, mm. who's a former finalist here. She was able to see it out and, and close off that match. So, look, I, I do think Sabalenka's favoured. Alex Dimonor made a good point, and you talked about the gruelling rallies last week. There is, not surprisingly, some complaints about the balls again here. They are fluffing up particularly quickly, and it takes a heavy hitter to hit, you know, to really club mm. through it. Someone with power. He, he says someone who can muscle the ball, and that's Svitolina for mine. Oh, sorry, that's uh, that's Sabalenka for mine. She's she's got the power and the pace, so I, I do think she's probably preferred there. And you know, if if she goes through and the weather's like it is, I, I do give her a real chance. Say Svantec, if it's Svantec that goes through, it's interesting to see Jabir start well again today. She's looked better and better as tournaments gone on, having not played a lot of tennis. Uh, this year after that sort of knee injury in Melbourne. So I, I do think it's a, it's, a, it's still wide open. Svidentech had the, had the double bagel, yes. But I, you know, I think it's a live tournament. Yep, no doubt. It is alive. Thank you, Walshy. Great, uh, great to catch up with you. Enjoy uh, a big Monday over there at uh, Roland Garros. And you're a man who loves to get a tan, so it's just uh, set up <laughs> perfectly for you. 
Always apply the sunscreen, Brett. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you both. Enjoy a croissant for me here. Indeed. We, we. Uh, Courtney Walsh <laughs> on the ground over in uh, Paris to give us uh, his take. Uh, let's get a break in. Mark Woodford, not too far away from joining us. Bit to pull apart with Betty from an Aussie perspective away from Roland Garros and what's happening uh, here in Melbourne uh, and, of course, around Australia as well. You can weigh in one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Harcourts open line. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourts or jump on the temper text tonight. A mattress like no other. 40 winks. Serious about sleep. Need a bit of that. Back with more. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com, this is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve on this uh, Monday night. Brett Phillips, Betty Sikolovsky with you. Week two of uh, Roland Garros, and of course we are uh, underway. Uh, the completion of uh, fourth round matches on Jabir has taken just over an hour. 6-3, uh, 6-1 to see off uh, Bernarda Pera, the lefty from the US, who's had her uh, best run, Betty, at a major. But uh, Ons, um, two Grand Slam finals last year, has just come back a few pegs. So fascinating to see what she can do in the uh, the back end of the tournament. We know what she brings to the tennis yeah, court. I'd love to see her win a slam. Absolutely love to see her win a slam. And, and she's just... Just brings so much joy to watching tennis, doesn't she? Brings so much flavour to the game and uh, love sitting there and watching ons whether she, you know, doesn't go fulfil her potential all the way. Yeah, what do they call it? Is it the um, the Ministry of Happiness or something? Is it? She's got a tag uh, next to her, but yeah, no, she's always got a smile on her face. So she's through, which will bring Casper uh, Rude and, and Nicholas Jarry is my dark horse. Yeah. A big Chilean yep. was uh, suspended from the tour for a. A violation going back about two or three years ago. Mm. Started this year at 152, played the Canberra Challenger, and he's inside the top 30. So I think won Geneva on the clay. He won in Santiago during Mm. that February stint of clay court tournaments, and he's a big guy. He's a big guy. I think you could trouble uh, Casper Root. So they're coming up. Uh, Coco Goff is on court. Philippe Chatrier today. Dimitrov and Zverev is the night match. Is a, a good contest. Uh, we might check in with Beatrice Haddad Meyer. Is also a great story. Amazing story. I actually remember Beatrice uh, playing a 25K in Perth back in 2015. And yes. her work ethic was incredible. Yeah. She's a she's an absolute workhorse and, um, you know, works very hard week in, week out. And it just shows that she's been lingering around on the, uh, the tour and, and all of a sudden having some of her best results. Well, she's just been pipped in the first set tiebreak by Sarah Cerebus Tormo, who benefited from... Elena Rebuckina having mm. to pull out of uh, her match. Uh, she's got that interesting service action, uh, the Spaniard. But Beatrice uh, made that Australian Open doubles final a couple mm. of years ago and then really uh, concentrated on the singles. Went from about 80-odd to 15 in the world really, really quickly. So, I mean, the lefties bring uh, they bring great weapons, don't they? They're difficult to play. Oh, absolutely. I think you look at Kerber and think about what she's achieved with a serve that may, you know, you could you could almost argue that was a pretty average serve for a player in the top ten, but yep. you know she just used it so well that it's so hard to return against. So I think there's a lot to say about lefties and what they can bring. Good matchup today, also uh, Holger Rune and uh, Francisco Sorondolo. So Sorondolo comes off beating uh, Taylor Fritz, who had the great win in the last round and all the reaction with the crowd. But Sorondolo, who like all the Argentinians, has grown up on clay very comfortably. He actually had a couple of good hard courts run, one at Miami. Uh, last year, but and Holger just, I mean, he just eats, sleeps and breathes. That tennis racket goes to bed with him every <laughs> night. He, 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 like Carlos Alcaraz, I mean, these two guys are, are just at another level. Just hungry, aren't they? Just young guys, ready to ready to tear the next gen up, I think. And um, it's great to see them just 
being able to match these guys like Djokovic out there at the moment. Uh, Igor Sviontek uh, taking on uh, Lesia Serenko of Ukraine, who has been ranked as high as uh, 23. I'm not sure she'll be the deer in the headlights of uh, Igor's last opponent in just 51 minutes. She's a much more accomplished uh, player. But I think it's fascinating because Sviontek's been hunted all year. I mean, having to defend eight titles, two Grand Slams, mm. So Sabalenka has closed the gap. There's a little bit of a rivalry, which is great, a little bit of an edginess, yes. and you throw Rebuckner in as the sort of quiet assassin, as I call her. And I think women's tennis at the top has been crying out for that. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's great to see just some new names coming up, you know, to the forefront and, and players stepping up and challenging these top players. It's it's exactly what we've been wanting, and, and I think as, as spectators, it's made the women's game even more and more interesting coming moving forward. The Alina Svitolina story, uh, that, that's just that's great, isn't it? This is the great part about tennis is that, you are your own business out there. You stop for a period, and there's clearly plenty of players who want to become a mum and start a family in, in the midst of their careers, and she's still only 28. So there's there's upside for her to have some great success. I mean, she was always a great competitor, a couple of Grand Slam semis, regular quarterfinalists, maybe didn't quite have a big enough game to get past you know the likes of Serena and Sharapova and a few others. One or two of finals, she was always knocking on the door, but... She looks really inspired. I mean, that would be the fairy tale story of the tournament. I'll, I'll be honest. I uh, woke up and I couldn't believe that I saw her name just <laughs> cruising through the rounds. I was just, you know, it was. You hadn't heard much from Alina at all over, you know, over the past, and to see her actually doing as well as she has been is awesome to see her back. And I really hope she has a fantastic tournament. Uh, BP regular listener from Geelong. I'm in Paris right now, walking down to Roland Garros. Vibe is unbelievable. 28 degrees, huge crowds. Great to have you uh, with us. Uh, let me know your name too when you. Uh, do text us back. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful setting. Uh, around about fifteen twenty minutes from the heart of Paris, and uh, and the sights had a bit of a makeover in the last uh, twelve months. I'll get to a few more of your texts on the other side of this break. We'll bring in hopefully Mark Woodford, Australian tennis great, to weigh in on his thoughts on Roland Garros. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com, this is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Great to have your company on this uh, Monday night. Brett Phillips alongside uh, Betty Sikolovsky and uh, great to have the coaching wisdom. We'll get to a few uh, issues around Australia and a few of our Australian players. But speaking of, uh, well, Australian players, a former great, he's part of our coverage of course, every January when he comes out for the Australian Open, we're hearing his dulcet tones into Australia, of course. So the great Mark Woodford joins us from uh, Paris. Mark, uh, welcome. BP, bonjour. Uh, very, very nice to uh, very nice to have you on. You're in my ear for uh, Alcaraz and Musetti. Gee, there was a big build-up to that clash. And then Carlos, after a little early break of serve, where he hit a couple of cracking backhands, Musetti, Carlos just reset beautifully and bang, she was all over pretty quickly. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, as you said, it was one of those matches when the draw uh, came out and, you, you know, everyone pr pr proceeds to put some of the marquee names through. I think that was one of the matches, the potential matchups that you'd circle and say, you know, given that Mercedes had beaten Alcaraz uh, almost 12 months ago in Hamburg. But I think that goes to show the different conditions that the clay courts um, probably aided Musetti uh, 12 months ago. But he was also playing Alcaraz, who was only ranked number six in the world at the time. Uh, yesterday, 
very different. I mean, the the weather here has been superb from day one. Yep. Uh, the courts have been very lively, and uh, uh, you, you know, just di- different conditions. Probably more suitable for. Alcaraz, and right now he's wearing the number one crown. I guess we've been talking to, to Courtney earlier on, and he's mentioning um, some discussion around the balls playing a little heavier in those conditions. What are your thoughts on? Yep. Are you seeing much difference there at the moment? I, I think it's offset, um, honestly, Betty. I from the commentary booth, and look, it's you know we've got the luxury of, of sitting high above the court, and I think one thing that we miss as commentators at times is the windy conditions that have impacted uh, yep. some of the the level of play, certainly on Chatrier because of the expansiveness of Mm -hmm. the court. The balls have certainly been a a topic of discussion. I think some of the players have said more so on the the men's side have just said that they're a little heavier, but I'm I'm not sure that I, I see much um, you, you know, difference. Yep. They certainly might not be as lively. They're not moving through the court as much. Maybe one thing that I'm noticing more is the amount of drop shots that are being executed. Yep. If you were putting Elkarez and Djokovic, we hope this is going to be, I, I certainly hope it's going to be the semi final that we projected at the start of the tournament. If you're pitting those two together right now and we want to see them best of five who are you giving the nod to it's hard to split the two at the moment from what i've seen you know Djok- Djokovic, you know scrambled through that match with uh davidic fakina uh, had a had an easy match yesterday um and alcaraz again wearing you know the number one seed the number one player in the world crown at the moment um but, but he's played a little loose. There have been moments where, you know, he, he's been playing at, at, a, at a high level, but then we've seen him sprinkle in, you know, some, some fast errors uh, off the ground. And, um, you know, I, I would maybe in that occasion right now just give the, the, an edge to Djokovic because I think the longer he stays in the tournament, the more matches he wins, I think the more dangerous he becomes. And he's got the, the experience of... 22 slams under his sleeve. Mark, uh, I get this question asked quite often is who's winning the uh, French Open? <laughs> what, are, what are your calls on the, the men's and women's side? I would say the, the, the winner of the men's singles is, is bound to come from the top half. Um, you, you know, so I, I having, if Djokovic does play Alcaraz in the semis, uh, if, you know, I'm giving Djokovic the slight edge based on the, on the form so far, um, I, I would say Djokovic probably, or whoever does get through in the top half, I, I would expect to take the title. I think the bottom half of the draw, which uh, they're all playing today, uh, Zverev, I think for me, has been playing the most exciting tennis of all of the players in the bottom half. Our appetite is going to be fit if it's a, a Djokovic Zverev final. It's, it's great to see, you know, Sasha trying to work his way back. I mean, that, that was just terrific last year. And he was in a position where he could have beaten uh, Rafael Nadal in that semi-final. It's taken some time to get back, uh, but I think he seems to be every tournament he plays. Mark, he he seems to be getting back to the old uh, the old Sasha. So he would look at this as a real opportunity to try and make amends and go as deep as he can. But that, not an easy injury to come back from. Not at all, and and it was horrific at the time. Uh, you know, was calling that match and to see him tumble like he did, and it certainly brought back some you know haunted memories for me because I had the exact same injury at the Australian Open yep. uh, when when the surface was. Uh, re- 
rebound ace. And when they were talking about the length of time he was going to be off, I think, it, you know, it's. Uh, I really felt like it was going to be a, a long period of time that he would be off the court. And it does take a matter of confidence and just getting those matches, you know, under your belt before you start to feel comfortable. Uh, and as you say, his lead up to this year's Roland Garros, it, it's not like he's been beating some of the top guys, but he's getting those matches. And uh, I, I think in the first week, for me, uh, with the matches that I've called, he played the best match uh, in the, the, I think it was the second round. He played a complete match. He went out there on centre court in the in one of the evening matches and he played with intent and purpose from the first game to the very last game. And uh, I, I thought it was exciting tennis. And he's got through a bruising match with Tiafo, um, that the last match, the last round. So, you know, it's going to be a test tonight against Dimitrov. He plays a little differently. He's going to force... Um, Zverev to be moving around the court and I, I think we'll get a, a much clearer indication of where Zverev is under the, uh, after the match is finished tonight. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Mark, uh, great to catch up with you just to get your, uh, your, uh, your thoughts and your, your words of wisdom. Uh, great to have you in my ear to keep me up overnight burning the midnight oil, of course, uh, covering all the matches uh, back here in Australia and um, well, I think we're set for a, a cracking second week. I mean, the first week has been... Uh, pulsating to say the least, length of matches, some good underdog stories, and actually just one quick one on the Parisians. So you've been to you know Paris yep. so many times. Uh, I just feel sure. like I feel like maybe as the crowd etiquette sort of just slipped a little. I mean, we want fans to be on edge. We want them to be in uh, in the matches. We want them to be on edge of their seat. But there are some who I don't know. I feel like they're just coming to clearly disrupt the show. It has had a, a bit of a different feel. Um, and some of us that are, are commentating on the world feed, we've been uh, making our own uh, comments that the the crowd that are coming through to the night session yeah. seem to be a very different type of crowd that are coming in uh, that are there during the day. I think that the weather has been just superb. And so, you know, the crowd are, are, are coming in. They're so passionate here. Um, you know, they might be a little disgruntled, BP, the fact that they, um, that they haven't had too many French players, you know, go into the third round or mm. deeper of this year's tournament. So they might be a little unhappy that um, <laughs> they don't know who really who to support. But yeah. um, I, I think there's uh, they've got some bright stars uh, ahead here in France that uh, they'll, they'll be... Uh, involved in the second week but yeah the the crowd uh it, that come through to the night session look they they're paying you know to come in and see one match they want to see some great tennis and uh i mean they've been fed uh, some some brilliant tennis in the first week let's hope it carries on in the second week as well no doubt good on you mark really appreciate your time great look forward to having you, you back on the show thanks bp good talking to you betty take See care you, take care mark woodford australian tennis great of course commentating over there in paris let's get a break in i want to come back with betty and look at the aussies away from roland garros that's up next Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back, uh, French Open. Second week at uh, Roland Garros. There is a, a hell of a lot happening. Uh, we told you that uh, On Jabir is uh, through to the uh, quarterfinals. Uh, Beatrice Haddad Meyer is a set down, of course, in uh, Roland Garros. Uh, now streaming on Stan Sport, every match ad free. Four courts in 4K. And, of course, uh, you can watch uh, Stan right throughout the course of the week. Uh, Betty Sekolowski is alongside me. Billy and Ascot Vale 
wants to pose a question here. Uh, Betty, g'day, Billy. Yeah, morning, uh, BP and Betty. Uh, evening. Just a quick question. <laughs> yeah, yes. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Um, just regarding the junior, like kids that are coming through uh, the tennis academies and starting at a young age, are they taught for all surfaces to play? I'm not just one particular one. I just don't know why... So many are very good at one surf, but terrible at another. Like, that's why I think to win a grand slam and win all four is something, a monumental effort. But I just wasn't sure what the training of the kids is these days. Like, how are they taught to train on clay, hardcore, grass? Are they one particular or all four? It's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, I, think, I think going back years, I think you'd find that in Victoria we have a lot of clay courts. And... I think growing up myself, also I grew up playing on clay quite a lot, or on to car as we call it here. But I, I think now you, you walk around clubs and a lot of them have turned into synthetic grass, some hard courts um, due to the wet weather. I guess it's also the popularity of the sports changed over time. Um, and clay does seem to take a lot more to, to maintain its health, as you'd call it. But uh, yeah, it, look, I, I think it's an interesting conversation. Victoria definitely hosts a lot more clay courts um, than what any other state does around the country. Uh, if you go to Perth or you go to Queensland, there's a lot more hard court. There is a lot more clay being introduced into these states. But, um, you know, it's it, we're very lucky here in Victoria to, ha- to have as many clay courts as we do. But it has changed over the years. Good on you, Billy. Thank you for that. Uh, BP, very disappointed the Demon couldn't go deep into the Grand Slam. I thought uh, his form looked promising. I suppose it shows the gap between the elite and the elite. This is the way I answer the Alex Demon all question. He's done a magnificent job to get to 20 in the world. And if you look at what's ahead of him, Absolutely. there are some big hitters, right? He's contemporaries. And you look at Thomas Echeverry and co, who mm-hmm. are coming behind Demon. So Echeverry's 49 in the world at the start of this tournament, and he strikes the ball extremely powerfully. So he does have trouble with the big hitters, Alex. So what does he go away and think about? I mean, you've got the statue you've got. Okay, you can go in the gym and put on a little bit mm-hmm. more muscle. Does he think about, okay, tactically, how do I... How do I counteract? We know he loves to take the ball early. Yep. He loves to get into the net and rush mm. his opponent. So he, he's he's thinking a lot out on the tennis court, Alex, because he doesn't possess those big weapons. What's your take? Look, absolutely. I think he's a type of guy that's always going to do well on a faster surface. I think on clay, he, he has been brought up on clay. Um, but knowing Alex from a younger age, he's always had incredible, you know, phys- physicality is is incredible. Mm. He's, um, you know, game sense on the court, amazing. He's always been competitive. I do think hard court suits his style a little more, taking the ball a little earlier. But as we know, I think his serve has progressed over the years. I do think that's one area of his game that whether, I mean, I'm sure he's worked on it, but I, I'd imagine that that would be one area to look at. Um, he's never going to be someone that's going to win a lot of easy points from the back of the court. He's always mm. going to work for it. So mm. I, I agree with you, Brad. I think he's done phenomenally well to be where he's been. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's where a lot of our Australian men haven't got to yet. Absolutely. So we've got a big batch, but a lot between 50 and 100. So Kyrgios is the outlier because yeah. we don't see him that often. Kubler, Purcell, Thompson, O'Connell, Vukic and co, can they take the next jump? And many would say, and then in Thanasi's case, I mean, everyone is echoing the same words, Betty, that his current ranking does not justify his talent. And he said it to me at Indian Wells. He said, I've been as high as 69. <laughs> I should be higher than that. But he's still got to roll the sleeves up and go out and get the job done yep. to match the natural talent. So Demonor has done uh, – and you could argue he doesn't have the assets of some of those guys I mm. just mentioned, but he's got an incredible heart, incredible yep. work ethic. 
and a fight that is hard to measure, isn't it? It, um, it, it is. And he brings the consistency week in, yep. week out. I would say that's one of the things that I, I see very clearly from him uh, is just his, his ability to get out there and just want to compete week mm. in, week out. And I think he will himself um, hold himself very highly to that. No doubt. This was on the text. It doesn't help the, the wealthy, spoiled Brett reputation tennis has, needing dead silence to serve and play a point. Why? Imagine as Lionel Messi is about to uh, Lionel Messi is about to perform his skills, getting the crowd to stop making noise so he can concentrate on kicking at goal. Why do tennis players need silence? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw that one to you, Benny. Come uh, can on. I handball that one back to you, Brett? Um, I, look, it's a good question, but I, look, I think historically that's just where the culture of our sports come from. I mean, we could look at changing a few things. Look, who doesn't love a bit of music? I think music being introduced on the on the change events has mm-hmm. been already a, a, a game changer in our sport. So I think things will eventually may change, but well, I think it's no. okay to actually hang on to some things historically. Yes, yep. and and that can be the point of difference. Um, it, it's an interesting topic of debate, but I, I just think when the competitor in the heat of battle is stepping up to serve, it's not too hard to ask the crowd just be quiet, just be quiet, and then you'll get into the U's and R's mm. at the point, and then the reaction post winning or losing that point. But I think it's one thing we need to absolutely hang on to. Our guy who texted us was Damien in Geelong, who's over there at Roland Garros about to make his way through the gates. Uh, BP, for that last caller, uh, Yarraville from Yarraville. Uh, councils prefer hard courts these days. They only have to service them every 15 years mm. from Chris and Derriman. Yeah, I mean, look, being a, being a coach and dealing with wet weather, hard courts are one of our biggest nightmares in Melbourne. Uh, the amount of sessions you'd probably lose coaching due to you know having wet hard courts is uh, pretty immense. They're great in the summer. They're they're not fantastic for for co- for coaching businesses in the winter. And Victoria being one of the you know the wet, it has some the very the wet, some of the wettest seasons. Mm. I, I think it's really hard to run a business on hard court in, in Melbourne, especially. Good on you, Chris. Thank you. Hey, can you stick around for another sig? Definitely. Because there's a couple of things we haven't had a chance to uh, pick apart. Uh, so more of Betty up after uh, nine o'clock. Tennis Victoria State Grade, a regular segment. Taylor Preston, if you missed that chat on our socials, we'll bring that to you in the next hour. Our college segment with Lockie Peele, he's uh, caught up with Alex Fukic, who's a really impressive young guy. We've had him on the show. Great to see him rise into the top 100 in the last uh, few weeks, and he plied his trade over there at uh, Illinois, and it's uh, given him a very good granny. You'll hear Taylor Preston's response too when I posed uh, the college question to her. So it is up to the individual. Everyone sees their path a little uh, differently. AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorse, inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. More first serve to come. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. It is our uh, second hour. Just to uh, excuse the voice, I need a little extra dose of uh, honey. Been a uh, big fortnight covering uh, Roland Garros. And of course, Roland Garros now streaming on Stan Sport. Every match, ad-free, four courts in 4K. On Jabir through to the quarterfinals that has happened in the first uh, couple of hours on day nine at Roland Garros. Casper uh, Ruud currently 3-1, leading the Chilean Nicholas Jarry. Uh, first set, how about this? Sarah Saribes-Tormo might just be set 
out on uh, long limb. Uh, Betty, for her best yep. uh, Grand Slam performance, 7-6 in the first, seven points to three in the breaker against uh, the 14th seed Beatrice Haddad Meyer and uh, Cerebus Tormo, three love up now in the second. So we'll keep you across that. Storm Hunter uh, still alive, third mm-hmm. round today with Elise Mertens in the women's doubles. We know Ellen Perez went through to the quarters with her regular partner, Malika Martinez, last night. Uh, the juniors, we'll touch on those. Emerson Jones playing her second room match tonight. Charlie Camus will be out there. There's a few of the Aussies in the doubles as well. So plenty uh, happening. Roland Garros, of course, now streaming on Stan Sport. Every match ad-free, uh, four courts in 4K. Now, aside from Roland Garros, I wanted to run through a few of the Aussie results away from the bright lights because there are Aussies... They're doing some hard yards, and it was great to see on the weekend Olivia Gadecki, who's had a little run of outs, having lost her last five ITF singles finals, ironically, all in Australia. And she's won her three titles all abroad. Of course, she won the 15K, the 25K, and over the weekend won the new category 40K tournament, defeating fellow Aussie Arena Rodianova. That was in Portugal, uh, three and two. She was the top seed. Um, Three and seven in final, so it lost her past five. So she was due. She was pretty relieved at the end. I watched the live stream uh, last night. She's up to a career high, uh, 134. So she's knocking. Give us your thoughts on Olivia and where she can possibly sort of project to. Look, I just think the, I just feel like the women's women's tennis has opened up significantly for anyone that's ready to knock on that door. Is um, especially Olivia with the game that she has, the serve, the skills. Uh, I think she's a, an incredible talent. Um, would love to see her keep moving forward and uh, break the top hundred. Definitely doable. I, I think she's. Uh, I think she's. I think she's always believed that she can. She can do it, and I. And I think she's proving it. So let's let's hope that the next six months for her are, are a, a way forward to the top hundred. I mean, we're impatient. Obviously, we'd <laughs> love to see more of our female players rise. It is. A, is a, it's a topic of discussion, and I think we all understand how tough this sport is, and everyone goes on their own different journey. Uh, you know, I've spoken to Kim Beryl the last few months, who's put herself right on the cusp, and to take that next step and get him mm-hmm. is not an easy one because you're playing against a higher calibre of players, Betty, yeah. as you know, as you continue to rise up. But, you know, there's Olivia, Jamie Foolis, you've had yep. a, a lot to do with, Priscilla mm-hmm. Hon, uh, yep. Maddie Inglis, uh, there's a few others, Lizette Cabrera, who've all sort of been around the mark and yeah. trying to get in. What what do you think can make the difference? Oh, look, I, I think years spent trying to be consistent, really. I think injury-free, consistency, consistent tournament schedule. Um, obviously, the more they, they're around that sort of level, I think they get used to it. They also, it's a bit of self-belief uh, for our players. I think it's the belief that they can match it with these with these players. And as you said, look, the calibre of events get a lot stronger as they move forward and and winning isn't isn't as easy, <laughs> um, so I do think it's just the consistency of of performances week in week out. A young nineteen year old, we haven't had him on the show. Keen to get him on at some stage. Phil Seculish, nineteen year old from Queensland. We've certainly had a little asterisk next to Philip as a good junior coming through. Uh, was runner up at the fifteen k in Thailand over the weekend. So small margins, four six five seven. Mm. Uh, second seed went down to the fifth seed from Israel. He's zero and five in finals. So just trying to get that one breakthrough. Yeah. Oh, look, it's and and that's the thing, doesn't it? If everyone talks about the breakthrough, I think when it does happen, it's that monkey off the back. But I think for Phil, it will, it will happen pretty soon. And um, you know, it's you keep knocking, knocking, knocking on doors, and and eventually they open. And I think for him, he's not that far off. Adam Walton, who I'm a fan of, mm. uh, we had him on the show last year. Met him up at the uh, NTA. He's uh, 24. Great college journey at Tennessee. Steps out, had some good success playing uh, through sort of Cancun, Mexico last year, won a couple of 15Ks. 
actually watched him play the uh, Challenger in Little Rock, which okay. Kubler won the year before. Yeah. Great little setting there. Yeah. Great little ambience, you know, music during the uh, sit-downs, a couple of uh, grandstands uh, either side. So it pricked my interest. He beat Mark Polman's in the first round, mm. right? So he's trying to get to where Polman's is. So yeah. that was a good little tick. And he got to the semi-final. So best result at a challenger. He's had some good success at that ITF level. So he's gone this year from 431 to 252. So that's a nice little jump. As we know, players can sort of get stuck in a little graveyard there, sort of that 200, 250 region. But he's super fit. I think there's some upside there. Yeah, there is. And I I think, look, we've had an incredible schedule in our country. I think if you look at the beginning of the year, how many tournaments are actually played in our own backyard and then back end of the year, I think for these, for these guys that they can make that significant jump. And mm. it's, it's great to see someone like Adam, who's gone through the, the college system. And obviously, you know, I think that's the great thing about college is you get to play a lot of competitive matches. You yep. finally get on the, the tour and you're ready to play. So let's just see what he can bring over the next few months. Yeah. He's one I've got a little asterisk, just keeping an eye on. He's uh, results trying to watch as many of his challenges uh, throughout the year. We're going to talk some uh, state grade uh, as we do after nine o'clock on a Monday night. So in the men's over the weekend, Faulkner continued to go from strength to strength, downing uh, fellow title aspirants Kuyong 5-1 to preserve their unbeaten start to the year. It was a comprehensive performance from the club in the northwest suburbs with all five rubber wins uh, coming in straight sets. Elsewhere, Tennis World have won uh, three on the bounce, an impressive 5-1 victory over MCC Glen Iris Valley, moving them up to a third position despite the seemingly one-sided scoreline. Five of the six rubbers went to match tie breaks, including uh, indicating that the match uh, could have gone either way. Grace Park, beautiful Grace Park. Betty, you're very familiar with that. Yeah, we love Hawthorne, Grace Park. Uh, aided by the inclusion <laughs> of a US college player Enzo Aguiar, who was only playing on the tour a yeah. week or two ago. I think played his uh, first yeah, uh, ITF yeah. uh, pro event. Great to and we've see had Enzo. him. We've had him on our uh, Play USA podcast. He won 4-2 at North Ringwood. And our next guest, well, his strong performance at number one singles spearheaded his Royal South Yarra team to a 4-2 triumph over Eildon Park. I speak of Aaron Leadershard has been good enough to join us. Aaron, uh, thanks for your time. Thanks, Brett. Good to, good to join you. Great weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Um, it's always fun. Uh, it's been awesome to have uh, State Grade um, come back. And, uh, yeah, I've been involved for a few years, but... Um, it's nice to see, uh, you know, some, uh, some friendly faces that I've played against in the past and obviously Beal on the weekend, uh, was a, was an old teammate. So it was fun. Hey Aaron, it's Betty Sikolovsky here. Good to have you on. I, um, I was just thinking of state grade. Geez, it's been a long time since I even used that word. I think I played it in the, in the late nineties, but it's really great to hear that it's, it's back and it's, and it's pumping and players are excited about it. Um, some of the benefits you're seeing from state grade being back now? I think um, probably the, the number one for me is the, is the blend. It's, it's great to see um, some of the older faces, the more experienced players, mm. um, but then also some of the younger up-and-coming juniors involved as well. So, like, one, one of my experiences, um, you know, when, with my first season, <laughs> well, back in uh, 2008, um, you know, there was Fromberg playing, Huawati uh, playing, and, and it was just, you know, uh, great to be around those players, that calibre of player. And I think um, we've got a nice blend playing at the moment of uh, ex-tour players, current tour players, and yeah. juniors coming through. Yeah, and I think that you've just hit the nail on the head there. I think the, the balance of, um, you know, some past players coming in and playing and with the experience and then, you know, obviously mentoring some of the younger 
younger players is, I think, the greatest thing about state grade, and I think that's what's really been missing of, of um, recent times is just having, you know, I, I don't know if you could probably relate to this, but having the old, you know, the older person down the other end slicing a few balls and chipping and moonballing, and all of a sudden <laughs> seeing a different ball coming I'm, I'm at that you. Person now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, your lack of footwork, just bunting a few over. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I think you know, it's great for these young guys who are, you know and women just not seeing the same ball coming over and, and hearing some different tactics and, and wise, wise, you know, words of wisdom anyway. So, um, no, it's, it, I'm thrilled to see it happening. Yeah, no, for sure. Like exactly what you said. I, you know, nowadays my, my body's probably uh, not as great as what it used to be, but um, I like to bring people down to my level for the slice and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, the, a little bit of variety and things like that. And, and that's kind of what I came up against as well when I was, um, when I was younger, coming into state grade two, and you, you learn a lot through the, the older players and their, their variety. Aaron, we speak about it all the time. I mean, this is the game you can just keep playing as long as you can uh, stand upright and vertical and you can, uh, you can move. You don't have to be necessarily uh, going at uh, full tilt. You can be playing into your 80s, 90s. What, what's, the, what's the thing that drives you the most to want to get out there and compete um, at the level that you do? I, I still I'm, – I'm quite competitive. So <laughs> I would say um, – I would say it, it kind of never left me. I had to retire um, fairly young and step away from the tour. So I've uh, I've kept playing for, you know, every season, years on end through ATL, State, Premier League, um, whatever else. But um, I always liked the, the team aspect. I think the team as- aspect is, um, is brilliant. You know, you play such an individual sport. So you travel around the world. It can be... Um, at times, you know, fairly, fairly lonely. Um, but then when you come back and you play and you can be involved in a team sport, it's, it's quite exciting. But I think for myself now, um, you know, to also, you know, see we have, you know, a new younger player coming through for us, Jack, um, Bruce Smith is doing really well. So, you know, to have some younger players around and, you know, uh, you know, just to see them come through and, and be involved with them. And, you know, if, <laughs> even if it is, uh, you know, a slight takeaway here and there for, for what we do, how we conduct ourselves or whatever else, it's, um, you know, just, just being involved and um, competing and, and um, you know, trying to be involved in that environment and help the juniors come through as well. Like that's, yep. that's probably an attractive part for, for myself. Which probably just leads me on as a last one. Going down the coaching path, you're at uh, Ride Tennis Club, beautiful uh, part of the world down there on the peninsula. Sort of playing and coaching and combining it. When you, you know all your years in tennis, you know, and it's great to sit alongside Betty and just hear her philosophies on tennis and how you how you shape uh, the the youth. Uh, give us, I suppose, uh, your your, you know, your major philosophy as a coach in trying to guide uh, you know this this next generation. Gee, <laughs> um, I, I would say, um, I, I, I think, um, I, I would say, actually, you know what, in, in one of my last group sessions that I had, um, one of the last things I said before they walked off the court, yep. my feedback was, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. I think we've all heard, heard that as well. But yeah. I think the key to that is we've, uh, we've probably how to look at, you know, Djokovic and, and uh, Rafa come through and that, that spawned, you know, a player that was, you know, heavily baseline orientated. And I think now seeing Alcaraz come through with, with variety, the slice, the drop shot, um, I think, you know, just making sure that you, you have the tools to, to 
um, solve some problems when you're on the court. And, and I think the key to that is, you know, when you're training, just putting yourself in uncomfortable situations to, to then build those tools. That's great advice. Great stuff. Aaron, nice work. Uh, there's a bit of the uh, state grade season to go. You're just warming up. Uh, big weekend ahead. Who have you got this weekend? Um, so we've got a gap weekend this weekend, okay. but, um, yeah, yeah. King's King's birthday, but the following weekend, yes. um, uh, we're coming up against MCC. So, right. um, which will be fun. We've got, uh, yeah, there's some older guys involved in that team. So I'm, I'm looking forward to catching up with them actually. So um, yeah, it'll be great. Nice. Fourth uh, versus fifth. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for the chat. Thanks, Aaron. No, no worries at all. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Aaron Leadershard, of course, part of our segment around state grade. For the women's, Kuyong have ended Diggers Rest unbeaten run. Nail-biting two-game away victory from home. The result means Kuyong move ahead of Diggers Rest and into first place. So nice work. Uh, Royal South Yarra season has begun to gather momentum. A very strong 4-2 victory at Grace Park, uh, of course, providing their second straight win. Uh, Prisha Beliga and Emily Tinker uh, won the match tie break, set three and four singles to guarantee the result for Royal South Yarra. Bo Morris defeating Harkaway over the weekend. Diggers Rest defeating yes. Kuyong as we've gone through that. Kuyong Lawn sitting at number one. Diggers Rest to Grace Park three. Royal South Yarra fourth. Morris Lawn, fifth, and Harkway, sixth. So. Done a beautiful job, Betty. You've rescued Thanks, me. Bro. Just tried. <laughs> let's, let's get a quick break in. I need a refill, and we'll come back with more of the first serve. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com, this is the first serve, your home of tennis. <laughs> Mario from Maslin Beach, Betty. It's a nude beach over in uh, Adelaide. <laughs> You've got to stop barracking so loud for Elka, is no one here so hoarse. I can hear you in South Australia. Come on, Mario. Oh, apologies. Uh, just um, It happens sometimes. We've had a little swig of uh, water during the break. Uh, Taylor Preston, just a moment. Just one thing I want to tidy up with, uh, Betty, who's been with me for the past hour and a quarter. Uh, John Packey, who actually texted our show last week, um, and he says hello to you, Betty. We used to run squads together at Keon Park. <laughs> uh, great to hear you on SEM. Uh, just want to get your thoughts on the idea of shifting pennant to a summer season. Would make sense, no question mark. John, I did say on the show last week I'd follow up Tennis Victoria for a response, which I have here. Your quick take on it? Yeah, I guess I've always been in the opinion of maybe cutting the season a little shorter uh, just because my experience with that has been that too many of the players that I've been involved with um, or not been involved with travel and like to go overseas to play tournaments. Um, so the consistency of having players there week in, week out just seems to fade away. So I, I feel like the depth does drop off a little bit in um, grade one pennant from what I could, ex- what I could experience. And um, yeah, my, my take would be to shorten the season a little bit. Okay. So this was the response from Tennis Victoria. I, I posed that uh, text uh, to them today from one of our listeners, John, there. A uh, very valid discussion point that is raised as part of our holistic pennant review last year. Players indicated a strong preference to remain with the current time slot. Uh, the season commencing in April and concluding in September. We do, of course, also have our Tennis Victoria Premier League competition that runs in late November each year, and state grade aims to bridge the gap between pennant and Premier League and provides a regular weekly aspirational offering for high-level players. We will, of course, continue to monitor player preferences for how we structure the season moving forward and use that data to shape our decision-making accordingly. So that is a statement from uh, Tennis Victoria, John. Uh, I, I bow to the people who are out there. It's a tough one for me to answer. Um, those who are playing and involved in the administrating of it all, yeah. uh, what the overall consensus would be. But if you want to weigh in on that, 0433 98 11 16 on the text. 
Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Brett. It's been great. We'll do it again. Sounds good. No doubt. Uh, Betty Sekulowski, well-known coach to a young player who's certainly making some strides. Unfortunately, we couldn't quite connect with young Taylor Preston uh, last week. So I followed it up, uh, of course, uh, during the week. We played it all across our social channels. But for those who haven't uh, caught it, of course, the young 17-year-old from WA who's uh, having a rapid rise, great junior career into transitioning into the pros. She won her first ITF Pro Tour event in Tunisia going back the week before last, and I caught up with her during the week. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. It's definitely a goal that I had for myself when I left Perth for uh, this trip was to win at least a pro, one pro title. So to get that is a really good feeling. Um, I mean, hopefully I can get another one sometime soon. Um, but yeah, to get that, it yeah, it was a good feeling and, you know, all my hard work paying off. It was a bit of a slow start to the year, but I'm really happy with how I've been playing since we since we did leave for this trip. And I think even over the past two months playing, I've been improving on a lot of things and getting really, yeah, and getting better at stuff. Yeah, you made a final in Nottingham. I think you made uh, another, you know, a couple of semis and it's been a good period since about uh, April. Uh, how long is this trip? Because we always sort of talk about, you know, how long the Aussies have got to spend abroad and it's not like you can go away for two weeks. You've got to spend sort of an extensive period to, to maximise a trip. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been away for two months now. I think we were maybe aiming for maybe three months, go home middle of July-ish, but, I mean, it just depends how I'm feeling as well and what we decide to do. We don't really know what I'm doing in two weeks, let alone um, further down the track. So I think we're just going to take it tournament by tournament and see how it goes. So take us through the week. Uh, you had to come through qualifying, which is uh, the mm -hmm. same as uh, Nottingham when you made the final there a couple of uh, weeks ago. So that's not easy yeah. uh, to come through and play that uh, volume of matches. Tell us how the week sort of unfolded. And uh, Monastir Tunisia is where a lot of the Aussies uh, do um, ply their trade, both male and female. Yeah, so I obviously had to go through qualies. I think qualies is a good thing because, you know, you get some matches, feel the courts, obviously coming from a tournament in Spain, I felt like the courts and the balls were quite different. So to go through qualies gave me sort of a chance to get used to that, um, start feeling everything better again, and then... Yeah, just through every round, there was one match where I had, where we had to play it over two days because of the mm. rain. So that was obviously, it's a challenge to play a match over two days. But um, yeah, everything obviously went really well and I'm happy with the week. I mean, you're projecting nicely. We've been hearing about you, obviously, the last couple of years. I had Talia Gibson on the show last year, fellow Western Australian. So there's something happening in the water over in WA producing some uh, really good talent. I had your coach on our show, Brad, uh, last year, who uh, obviously yeah. runs the Academy in Perth and, and does a lot of travelling uh, with you. Just tell us about mm -hmm. the partnership between player and coach, which is hugely vital to your success. Yeah, um, well, me and Brad have been working together for almost 10 years. So it's a very long time. And obviously through that time, we've built up a very good player-coach relationship. And we, we know each other. We know how each other sort of work. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's extremely important to have a good player-coach relationship, especially when it's just two of us travelling together. So we – so, yeah, it's very important. And I think it has a lot of impact on how – I play and how I go in tournaments. So you put together a pretty impressive junior record. Uh, I think 70, 22, seven titles. And everything's happened 
pretty quickly. I mean, every tennis player goes mm-hmm. on a, a different journey. Some peak earlier, some take uh, longer. Uh, there's a school of thought that, you know, sometimes it's tougher for the Aussies uh, just logistically and uh, to, to, you know, sort of absolutely crack it in tennis. But are you, do you feel like yeah. you're exceeding your own expectations or you have you always been hugely ambitious that you were ready to hit the ground running and get some really result you know get some great results very early on because uh many people out there might know you you I mean you're just 17 this is really just the beginning but you're doing some incredible things I mean I feel yeah I always have pretty high expectations of myself but I mean I think that's natural to to do that to yourself uh I think last year with my it was sort of my first full year of playing the juniors because obviously COVID happened, which sort it affected my playing junior ITFs quite a lot. So I think playing the juniors last year was a really great experience. Um, it obviously playing the top juniors in the world, they're all extremely good players. So mm. it taught me a lot as well. And then I think it prepared me well to then start playing more women's this year. And yeah. yeah you've been able to take some scalps, uh, get that international experience. So tell us about where you think your game is at and, and what observations do you make about just the game in general? I mean, everyone acknowledges the game is as physical as it's ever been, certainly on the WTA tour and the, the level of fitness now needed uh, to you know really reach the top. So that balance between fitness, the, the technical, the tactical, just give us a, a feel uh, you know, for how your game's tracking. Um, I think pretty well. Tactically, I'm trying to get a little bit better. That's something that I've never really thought too much about. I've normally just thought about what I'm doing and how I'm playing, but we're really trying to also start working on, you know, having one or two things about my opponent to sort of work on and, like, help me sort of create more of a game plan. Obviously, the women are a bit more physically stronger than the juniors, but that's natural. And I think as I play against them, that's going to help me become also more physically stronger um and obviously fitter as well so yeah for those that you know don't live in your world i mean take us take us inside that a little bit because i mean obviously to play this sport the the level of commitment is extremely high it's you uh, in control of your own sort of uh, destiny and everyone's got a a different work ethic different attitude uh, but i mean you, you can't sort of get away um taking any shortcuts in this game can you no, I would say I have a pretty good work ethic. When I'm on the court, I, I always give it everything I have. Um, I've started doing more strength work. That was also never really a massive part of what I did. So I've started doing that this year as well, which I think has helped, obviously, playing against the women as well. I have to be stronger. Otherwise, well, they're a ton stronger than I would be if I hadn't done that. So I think that's a massive part that I've added and has helped. Um, and yeah, just I yeah, giving one hundred percent because you have to because otherwise it's probably not going to work. No doubt, and an opportunity to be part of the the Billie Jean King Cup team as well, which often happens with the young players, whether it be uh, yeah, Billie Jean King Cup, Davis Cup. Tell us about that experience of hanging around that sort of you know older uh, core Australian mm-hmm. group. Yeah, that was definitely one of the highlights of my year last year was going on that trip just getting to know all the girls a bit better I mean I knew some of them but not very well so I got to know them all better just also seeing how they go about their things you know warm-ups recovery how they carry themselves on the court off the court just sort of taking in everything and really learning from them and I think it really helped me a lot and it was a great experience I just wanted to ask you I mean 
we obviously do a college segment on our show and everyone takes a, a different uh, journey. It's fascinating to listen to, you know, some of the players who go down that pathway. There are others probably like yourself and others who just want to sort of hit the circuit. Let's get into it and see how mm-hmm. things uh, roll out. What's sort of gone through your mind in that regard as to, you know, in trying to build a, a tennis career? Did college ever sort of factor in as a consideration or you've preferred to, you know, do it uh, this way? I know you're obviously supported by the NTA, even though you're doing a lot of that work, obviously, in Perth. But just give us some yep. feeling around just decision-making in terms of setting your path. Personally, I never wanted to go to college. So it was never really something that I had thought about. Mm. Obviously, I love being at home. So for me, obviously, being away from home, even though I'm doing it now, it's I feel like it's very different. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we never really considered it just because it was never really something that I wanted to do. And being on the road, uh, you said that, you know, there's you and Brad and often, you know, uh, tennis players will say, gee, sometimes it can be a bit of a, a lonely existence. Um, how do you how do you create sort of your environment away from just playing and practising? Do you like to get out and sort of see many of these places that you go to? Uh, take us sort of behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's hard being away from home, but we create our own little fun things that we do. So, I mean, yeah. We try and see as much as we can while we're away. Obviously, it's hard when you're playing tournaments because while you're in the tournament, you want to keep, you know, we create really good routines and stick to those while I'm playing. Mm. Um, But we do little things like we'll play cards or go for walks or something like that just to keep us busy and also be able to see the places that we're in because normally tennis players don't really get to experience where we are. No, a lot of hotels and courts and uh, airports. Hey? Yeah. Taking in a bit of Roland Garros, I imagine, when you can, taking a look. It's on the TV now. Um, I Yeah, I watch as much as I can, obviously. And, yeah, it's great to also watch and see, like, that environment and hopefully I can be there next year playing. And playing on clay, it's, uh, you know, it's something that we often speak about with the Australian players and, uh, you know, it's not sort of something we've grown up on like the Europeans and, and, the, and the South Americans, but as, as a surface, do you like playing on the clay? Because it's often the surface that sort of builds your game, doesn't it? Yeah, personally, it's not my favourite, but I also haven't played on it a lot. The last time I played on it was French Open Juniors last year. Mm. So I think if I can play on it more and sort of learn the movements and the different sort of plays and patterns, on it, then I think I can definitely learn to enjoy playing on it. So, yeah, I think it's just getting more time on it and getting used to it. Uh, well, hoping to jump on the grass because obviously I love playing on the grass. Um, I got the opportunity last year to play in Hotogenbosch. So, hopefully, there's another opportunity there for me, but we sort of have to still wait and see on that. But, yeah, definitely jumping on the grass. That is Taylor Preston, pretty impressive. 17 years of age on the back of winning her first ITF Pro singles title. Thanks to Yonex, you can check out their new seventh generation racket. It's a masterpiece of technology and craft, combining precise spin and remarkable control, a work of art at yonex.com. We'll come back with our college segment. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Uh, Brett Phillips with you on this Monday night. Of course, AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches. They're providing quality coach education right across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders, tennis business owners, learn locally, coach globally. 
In fact, uh, inside the AATC is an article that's just been put up on our website over the weekend. Courtney Walsh uh, going head-to-head with the CEO, Linton Joseph. It's a, a great read. Have a read of that. Inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. This is where I hand all over to Lockie Pure with our weekly college segment. Over to you, Lockie, with a special guest tonight. Thanks, Brett. We have a very special guest tonight, a player who went down the college pathway starting at number five in the singles lineup at the University of Illinois, has just broken into the top 100 two weeks ago, currently sitting at 90 on the ATP Live rankings. That name is Alexander Vukic, who's currently having the best season of his career. He started the year back in January uh, at 130 in the world. He qualified for the Australian Open, Delray Beach, that's the 250 in Florida, uh, the Sunshine Double, uh, Indian Wells and Miami. He's had some great success as well on the Challenger Tour, winning in Busan. That's the 125 Challenger in South Korea and also made uh, the final of two challenges uh, in Sol and Oiris in Portugal. We caught up with Alex while he was in Paris, giving his insight into college tennis. I was in I was in Spain at the time. Yeah, I was playing over there. I think I had maybe like one or two ATP points. I'd just come from high school and I was going to go pro. And then I just turned 18 at the time. I just didn't see myself kind of doing it for the next kind of 10 years. So I just decided, you know, at least a year to go to college and experience that in a different environment. And yeah, I think it was one of the best choices I've, I've made, to be honest, to this day. What do you feel like you know, going to the University of Illinois added that element to your game, maybe compared to what other players who didn't go down the college pathway were exposed to? Yeah, I think I think that just depends on the... The coaches and the and the school itself. I think Illinois is one of those schools that just had a renowned history of also producing pros. So I think that was the one thing that I looked at going into there. It's a very big school, which means it has very you know good facilities to use. And I think um, just the environment and and it kind of gives you a place to mature. And also kind of there's not as much pressure in a way to always demand results as the tour can give players and it can demoralize players in a way if they start losing a lot. So it gives, I think it gives you a bit of breathing room to kind of develop, mature your game, mature yourself, probably more importantly. Again, like I said, it depends on the coach and, and how they have you know that understanding of what you want to do. I think that's very important. And if you want to go pro, you need someone that understands that and gives you the freedom and flexibility to do that as well. Those years from 18 to 22 is when you... Most players are at college, and if you're playing futures during that time and you've got to deal with the financial burden, if you lose one week, then you're off to another city the next week. But at, at college, you know, you're always going to play matches. As long as you're in the lineup, you're always going to play matches week in, week out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you have nothing to worry about uh, financially where kind of everything's paid for. Obviously, it depends on your scholarship situation. Um, but it, you know you can always find schools that that tailor to that. But for the most part, you're not worried about it too much in a way where you're stringing covered. You got the travel covered. You're not even thinking. All you're thinking about is is the tennis and obviously school in in a way. But yeah, it's almost it's almost surreal how how easy it is. You don't have to worry about like you said the financial burden, the stress that that puts on yourself. I think for myself in that first year, I played 50 matches in what it would have been seven six seven months, something like that. So, I mean, you get so many matches that you're playing that it just, you know, the level, I always thought to myself that if you could kind of get top 10 in, in college, that kind of puts you at like a top 400 ATP ranking. That was kind of my thought process going into there. So you look at the guys that you're trying to play, it's like everyone's good. If they really, if the guys that you're playing in college, if they were to play, they would they would do 
great things on the on the tour they just don't play that many tournaments you know it's like a different ranking system in a way so it's a great a uh, great level of competition and obviously that's why the atp has collaborated with the ita to come up with the accelerator spots so i know that's yeah. a little bit after your time as a as a college player but you know if you look at the french open now in the main draw 25 players have gone down the college pathway so that's 14 on the men and 11 on the women you know the likes of ben shelton and nuno and what they've done, um, and of course yourself. Do you, do you think we're going to see more players go down the collegiate pathway in the next ten to fifteen years? And when we see those main draws, you know that player went to college, that player went to college, sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd hope so. I think it's a smart thing to do, and I think it's unless you're like a Nick, a Curios, or like a you know like a Demonar, like where you're just unbelievable from from an early age, and and it's clear to everyone that you know this guy's going to be the next thing, like an Alcaraz. Or something like that you know if you're not one of those guys you know there's there's zero harm in, in going to college because you can always leave you can always let's say you go three months to college and you're just like nah this is not for me you can leave but you can never come back and you can never and you can never do that you can never like come back and get your degree if you haven't gone in the first part and i think it's um i think the more that people realize that you don't have to go the four years um you can i did a lot of players have but it's it's one of those like even another guy that's in main draw Kovacevic, he he went to uh he went to like he did five because he he got hit with he with the COVID year as well. But I think it's you know, the more people realize that this is actually a a proper developmental tool and, and everything, it will actually increase the level in college and I'm sure it will produce even more players. So I think it's yeah, it's it's a no brainer to anyone that is not those top guys in a way. Maxine Cressy, I don't even think started in his freshman yeah. year when he played yeah. at U- UCLA. I think in his senior year, he played at one and then he started to, you know, and, and especially for boys who mature a lot later than what, exactly. what girls do. So at 22, 23, you know, some players start to really bloom at that age. Yeah, I mean, and, and Shelton as well. Shelton was playing five. I just played a guy the other day, Alex Richard, who's, you know, 200 as well. And he was playing five for Virginia. And you kind of look at like, it's like, you know, like you said, like I was playing five when I started. Kovacevic was playing four, you know, when he first started and, 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 you know, everyone's kind of like, you know, you have to develop, you have to, it's not like, oh, this guy, you look at, at the end of someone's career, you look at, okay, how do they get there? And everyone has a different journey. Everyone has a different path. And I think, you know, it's not like you look at, I think maybe this is where, where parents get caught up is they look at their kid and, and where they are now. And they look at another kid and where they are now and they're just like, oh, this kid is far ahead. It's like, that's it. We can't make it in a way. Like we're too far gone where it's like you fast forward five, 10 years and suddenly that kid might not be playing anymore. And you got these other kids that you didn't hear of that age that are suddenly playing on the pro tour and are doing well. And I think that's what you got to realize is everyone has, everyone has their own path and, and journey. And I think it's just, you got to, commit to it and, and and trust it and it might pay off and it might not but you got to kind of commit to it for sure as you're saying you know sometimes it can be isolating and you know if you lose and then you're off to another city do you feel like college added some mental element to build those certain characteristics to keep that consistency yeah it does it does i think it uh, i think it depends on on the experience that you had the the teammates that you're with and and, and where you are i think some probably develop that more than others um in a way i think it's almost like if you go to, a, I wouldn't say if you go to like a really nice place, it actually might be worse in a way because it's it's a little bit too easy and it might sometimes be harder. Whereas if you go to a place that isn't as nice and and, and requires you to grind a little bit more, it actually kind of helps. 
in a way. But yeah, I think it just kind of depends on on the person's experience with with college with that. You've graduated at Illinois. And so if, if you were to stop playing tennis at, at any point in your career, what would you do? I have a finance degree, so I'd always, I can always fall back on that. My thoughts on post tennis change uh, constantly, but I wouldn't mind being like a, ultimately being like a, a CFO of like a sports team or something like that, or something still related to tennis, but something that, well, not tennis, but just sports in general, something still related to that, but that I can use my uh, finance degree. I think there's obviously there's, you know, tennis is a big, big part of my life right now, but I also think there's, there's, there's other stuff in the world that's, that's also uh, worth exploring. Well, you're always retired for, you know, much longer than your playing career and, and, and many players who don't have that educational backing, if they haven't earned enough prize money in tennis or they can't move on to a, a different role, whether it be, you know, in the media space or anything along those lines. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you may or may not use it, but it kind of gives you the, the, the freedom to use it you're not kind of pigeonholed in doing something you know so you know like you could end up still doing tennis coaching or something related to tennis even if you go to college but that would probably be out of more out of the love of doing it or the the want of doing it rather than the need of doing it which i think a lot of ex-tennis players get stuck in because it's almost like well i don't know anything else and i kind of i'm good at it so i might as well do it and i think it just gives you the freedom of like more freedom of of choosing it and again you can still do it but it will be more out of the your own definitely want and, and desire to do it big thank you to alex for joining us and we wish him all the best as he makes his way over to the grass court season Some really good insights there from Alex. I really liked what he said about parents comparing their kids to other kids, especially at such a young age. We all have our own journey, our own pathway. There's many tennis coaches who listen to the first serve, and I'm a tennis coach myself, and it can be tough explaining uh, to parents that all kids have their own timeline, if you like, so definitely a breath of fresh air. The college pathway is definitely a stepping stone, uh, not only to the ATP and WTA tour, but to what comes after Uh, college tennis as well in life Uh, that's a wrap for our college segment this week brett Uh, just before we wrap up our play usa podcast episode five will be released that's where we catch up with adelaide's Lockie brain who plays uh, at the university of north alabama he was the freshman conference player of the year so well done to Lockie. if you'd like to reach out to us you can send us an email at the first serve sen at gmail.com it's back to you, Brett. Uh, thank you, Lockie. Great chat. Love Alex Vukic. He's a really wise uh, young man. Had a great opportunity to speak to him at Indian Wells this year. All thanks to Yonex. You can check out their new seventh generation rackets, a masterpiece of technology and craft, combining precise spin and remarkable control. A work of art at yonex.com. We'll come back and wrap up. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Last few minutes of the show, a quick update to Roland Garros. We know on Jabir through tonight, uh, through to the uh, quarterfinals, the uh, seventh seed, 6-3-6-1. The uh, two live matches going on, uh, gee, over an hour for the first set for Casper Ruud. Seven games to six, seven points to three in the tiebreak against the big Chilean Nicholas Jarry. And it's a set apiece between Beatrice Haddad Meyer, the 14th seed from Brazil, up against Sara Cerebes Tormo of the Spain. Haddad Meyer coming back 6-3 there in the second. From an Aussie junior perspective, unfortunately, uh, Charlie Camus, the Canberran, has gone out tonight, took the first set 7-6 and then lost 
the next two sets, 1616 to Sakamoto, the 12th seed there from Japan, uh, Storm Hunter is just at on court at the moment with Elise Merton. So third round, hoping to join Ellen Perez in the uh, women's doubles uh, quarterfinals. Off the text, about to have a hit on the clay. This was a little earlier, actually, at Wilson Willison Park in Camberwell. There you go, some clay court set there. Nice. Uh, hoping my forehand is like Carlos. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Isn't it great to watch? I know, Mario, you think I'd bang on about Alcaraz, but... It is just a pure delight. If they have smaller balls, then they can have smaller courts. and More people would be able to play. I think this is in reference to our discussion earlier with uh, Betty Sikolowski around uh, junior development. Uh, Michael says, change the women's to five sets. Same as the men, your thoughts. Sorry, Michael, I, I know we meant to get this text in earlier and uh, I, I can't give you Betty's view on it, but I, I just reckon... I just reckon we just end this argument. I, I, I don't think it needs to be discussed, um, to be totally honest. It, it just wouldn't work from a uh, scheduling point of view. I mean, you may have a case possibly for the final, best of five, but I don't have the exact stats in front of me. But there are so many great women's three-set matches that are better than men's uh, best of five. The go two and a half, three hours... Real, a real slug out there. So I think it's fine, to be totally honest, uh, the way it is. And one to finish, this was in the mailbag from uh, Liz. I've meant to get around to this, Liz. Could you please let me know what has happened to John Millman? Is he injured? Yeah, I can tell you. We did a little article on our website a few weeks ago with John, just talking about, you know, post-tennis, and he's dabbling in the media a little bit, and he's doing a bit of stuff, I think, for news.com.au, did stuff with Channel 9, of course, back in January. Look, John is in a bit of a tough spot uh, with his back at the moment. So I don't know whether we're going to see him back. He's trying to get it right, Liz. Uh, we haven't seen him play since, I think, a an event, a challenger in France, uh, post the Australian Open. And it's giving him a lot of trouble. He's a great optimist, John, and uh, he'll uh, fight tooth and nail to try and get back. Uh, but he is, what, 34 now? So it might be, uh, it might be a real struggle. Thank you for your company tonight, pushing through with the horse voice, but uh, tune in to Stan Sport, of course. Roland Garros now streaming on Stan. Every match ad-free, four courts, 4K. It's a big night ahead. Hopefully we get Alcaraz and Djokovic as a semi. The women's, yeah, it looks like it might be Sviantek Sabalenka. I think that's the way it's probably going to go, but there is uh, so much to play out. Our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Check out all our podcasts as well. And I'll uh, talk to you next Monday at 8 o'clock.